Everyone talks about marketing experimentation, but very few know how to actually do it. And since everyone assumes everyone else is doing it, they claim they're doing it too. Hopefully, we'll put an end to that today. We're going to walk you through and give away the experimentation framework that we use at Metadata. DemandGenU is officially in session. Let's do it. All right, Jason, before we get started, I have a massive squeak in my chair right now, and I have a can of WD-40 on my counter, and I haven't used it yet, so I apologize to you and everyone else who's listening if we just have squeaks throughout this episode. I'm going to try not to Let's move, hear it. but that's Let's a lot. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Is it bad? Oh, God. All right. I can't move. Sounds like uh, a rusty old mattress. Yeah. It's like a nice chair, too. And, you know, I'm clearly working at a B2B tech company because I'm not handy and working at a fourth generation woodworking business. So you can, uh, you and the rest of the B2B marketing world knows how not handy I am. So thankfully, I'm a little better at marketing. <laughs> nice. righty. Let's get into it. So experimentation. And I'll get into a little quick story before we get into it first. I think I've always been intimidated by experimentation. I always looked at experimentation as really A-B testing. Didn't really know what multivariate experimentation was. And, you know, I A-B tested subject lines for emails and did very little, you know, testing prior to coming to metadata. And experimentation is really at the core of our product and everything that that Gil believes in. So how did you, you know, come around to experimentation? Was it at metadata? Was it before metadata? No, I mean, um, before, but like never really did it well, I don't think. Um, I like I can't really think back and say like, oh, in this role, we really experimented well. Um, and even at the, you know, the big companies that I was at, um, it was still just not done well. You know, like a lot of companies or a lot of marketing departments are activity driven. And so they're like, oh, we have to launch a campaign on this date and then another one on this date and we have a ca campaign to support this launch and, and everything is like tied to a deadline. And oftentimes those teams just don't even think about experimenting. They're just like, oh, I just gotta get this out the door. And they spend a bunch of time on like, getting that one thing ready and then just kind of like praying that it's the right thing. And it usually isn't. <laughs> so, um, especially the first, the first go round. Uh, also like, you know, for experimentation for us, um, really is about finding just new, like trying new channels, trying new tactics, new combinations of things, you know, like we actually don't have a, a I, I wouldn't say we have like a really, strong definition even internally sometimes we actually talk about something we're like is that an experiment or not but for us it's really about um understanding where we have gaps in our goals like okay we have goals we're doing some things the things we're doing may not actually get us all the way to that goal and so like oh we need like new areas to find demos, demand, you know, whatever it is, registrations. Um, and <clears throat> we want to try things that we haven't done before. And so that for us could be a brand new channel. Uh, it could be some new tactic or a combination of tactics, really. Um, it can be just trying to get in front of somebody in a different way. It can be a truck driving around LA, you know, with our, with our video ads on it, playing music, you know? And so, um, 
And then there's a difference between experimentation and optimization, um, which is, you know, experimentation is really like, okay, we just really haven't done this before at all. And so we're going to try something brand new and we're going to do our best to like put our best foot forward on that. Um, but that's like net new. Whereas optimization is like, okay, I've got something in market. Now I need to like tweak it. I need to try something a little bit different, but it's still in that same frame. Um, and I think a lot of people confuse the two, honestly, like experimentation is not the same as, um, optimization. And so that's a, I think an important distinction too. It's almost like you read the outline because I didn't even have to guide you to both of those points that you made. So we're <laughs> checking off the, the intro real nice here. So I think a big question that I want to get your take on is this, what's the value of experimenting? And then really the flip side to it, what's the value of not experimenting? Because I think my eyes have been opened up big time by way of Gil to both of those questions and how he's ingrained this in our culture at metadata. Yeah. Um, so on the value of experimenting, I mean, think about, well, actually maybe let's think about the other way first. So not experiment. So let's say you're not experimenting, which if you're not experimenting, what it means is you're doing the same things that you've always done. And maybe you're optimizing those and you're getting like, maybe like little step improvements in there. Um, but if you think like, if you're like, if you're in this, like not experimenting approach, then it's like, you're actually telling yourself what you're saying to yourself is I've, I've got this thing cracked. I know it all. My ICP is only where I'm advertising right now. That's the only way they're ever going to learn about me. Like you really, you have Right. Like, you know, like if you're not thinking that, then, you know, you would be experimenting or you would. And so if you're not experimenting, my guess is this is what you think. You know, you think you're there. You think you're there. You think you're like you hit it all and you're like you've maximized it. You found all the pockets of where your ICP is hanging out, you know, and you've exhausted it all. Good for you. Like, shit, let me come work for you then, you know, because it's like you've got it all figured out, which you don't. And so hopefully that helps you understand, like, the value of experimenting which is you're basically telling yourself, I don't, I mean, we won't really get into the psychology of it. I don't have it all figured out. I know enough. I'm smart enough to realize I don't know it all. And even with us, we market to marketers, right? So like we might be the worst case scenario in that we're not, we could be though. Cause we could be like, well, fuck we're marketers. We know where we hang out. <laughs> you know, we know how we buy. And if we just only did that, we would be missing out on so much other things. Cause there's like so many other people and different people that think differently to us and don't spend hours on LinkedIn maybe, or don't do these other things. Um, and so that's really where it comes to bear is like, if you don't experiment, you're just going to keep doing the same thing. That's going to fatigue out. It's not always going to work the same way. And I think you're also telling yourself something that's just not true, which is I have it all figured out. Um, yeah. So, Oh, there's a squeaky gun. There is a slide in the sales deck that we use, and I promise this is not a metadata pitch slap, but oftentimes marketers have a hard time understanding, you know, hey, I'm running paid ads, but I'm not really experimenting with my paid ads. Like, what's the cost of not experimenting? And we have this slide in there that shows two variations of a very, very similar ad. And if you look at the difference in pipeline generated by way of the two ads, it's about a 90K difference. So if you look at just 
pay to add experimentation, you're potentially leaving pipeline and revenue on the table. So I think when we show that slide in those sales conversations, that's when people are like, okay, I'm not experimenting. Now I know that I should because I'm leaving money on the table. Well, yeah, and that what that also shows is you have to set up the right metrics too. You know what I mean? When you're experimenting and I won't get into that. Stop. Yeah, but yeah, there is a, a part of that too, but, um, uh, but yeah, you, you know, you want to look at the, you want to be looking at the right things. That's for sure. So I think one of the other questions that I have before we get into it is, and it's not in the outline, but it just it triggered a good thought. So where does experimentation sit in a marketing team? Should it be, you know, ingrained in everyone's role and they have to spend X amount of time? Is it some using heavy air quotes, because I hate this term growth hacker who's owning experimentation. Like, how do you set that up in your team? It's a mindset more than anything, I think. And so it's a mindset we try and set in the team. And so it would cascade across all the disciplines. Um, so even, I mean, content's easy, you know, that's, that's an easy, well, we have different content, so you can like try different things, but an area where it might not seem that obvious is like marketing operations, for example. Um, why would you experiment in marketing operations? Well, because you might get a step ahead. You might find some, you might find out something interesting, you know, you might, um, find a new way to set up an integration that like, you know, I don't know, you know, but there's, it can really cascade across everything and it's more of a mindset and the important part of instilling that mindset is you have to be okay with failure. And that's where a lot of leaders actually go wrong is they say it, but then they don't live it. They like say, Oh yeah, I'm all about experimentation, you know? And so like, yeah, we should experiment. And then the first time the direct report brings them something like, Hey, we did an experiment and man, it failed miserably. And they're like, what do you mean it failed? You know, they're like, and you're just like, well, I thought, I thought failure was okay. And so sometimes it's lip service. And so you actually have to, you can't just say it. And that's why I see so many, like they just say it because they know that's the right thing to say, but they don't actually believe it. And so you have to believe that like that failure is okay. And for failure to be okay, it means you have to be more rigorous about like, okay, certain percent of our stuff is going to fail. So it means we need to do more things probably. So that like the percent that succeed is still the, per, you know, is the volume or whatever that we need to meet our goals. Um, and so it's a mindset shift. It's like, it does take more work, of course. Yeah, and you think about it, like experimentation, I got to do something new that I haven't done before. Doing something new takes time that you haven't spent before. And so it's a commitment. Yeah. And I remember when we started to use the experimentation framework that we'll get into here in a sec. I, because I'd worked for other marketing leaders before who it was more lip service, exactly how you described the first few times that I was setting up experiments and they, you know, were great ideas in my head and they <laughs> failed miserably. I didn't know what I was going to get from you. I didn't know if you were going to be like, well, what do you mean it failed? And it was the exact opposite. So you have to kind of get over being burned in the past uh, and okay with the fact that, I don't know, probably 70, 80% of your experiments are going to fail. The key is just to have a few big bets that, that hit every now and then. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, well, I guess I don't want to, I don't want to liken it to gambling. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, <laughs> it's informed gambling. Cause if you set <laughs> yeah. if you set it up well, and we'll get into how you set it up well here in a second, 
you know, it is like gambling. So it's not a bad comparison. Yeah. Yeah. But hopefully, yeah, you're like, you're like the guy with glasses and a visor on at the Texas Hold'em table that's like, you know, that's like setting it up in a much more like an intelligent way than like the grandma chain smoking with her oxygen tank pulling the crank the goddamn slot machines. Oh, two amazing visuals in my head right now. All right. Let's get into uh, the framework. So uh, we had been working with G. Cobain for a while as an advisor at Metadata. And for those that don't know, he is like the demand gen mad scientist. I think there are times where we've met with him in the past that I'm intently listening to him and everything that he's saying. And so much of it goes over my head because he's that far into the future. And I share all that because when he gave us his experimentation framework, I felt so dumb. I was like, oh my God, what does this mean? Why are there 30 columns that we have to fill in? How are we going to do this? All that stuff. And thankfully, you know, you didn't say all of that to G, but after we took the framework and, and made it our own, we scaled it back because we didn't have to overcomplicate it from the get go. Yeah. Um, and I remember the first time I saw his framework too, it was, uh, I was consulting actually here. Um, and he was like, oh, let me show you like how I think about it. And it was just me consulting. So I was like part time and I saw this thing and I, I, yeah, I was just like, first of all, he had to explain it to me like thrice and then like, uh, and then I still didn't quite get it. And then I had to ask him a lot of questions and I was like, man, I, I long for the day when we're actually ready to use something like this. And then I shelved it, you know, for a year probably from that point. But, um, yeah, it's, uh. It is the most scientific way of thinking about experimentation that I've ever seen. Uh, and yeah, we definitely had to scale it back or else you'd spend all your time filling out the framework and not actually doing experiments. <laughs> kind of defeats the purpose. So I will give the caveat that in the episode uh, recap post, we will link out to the framework that we've been using at Metadata. So a couple things I want to walk through first, like in our scaled back, let's say second or third grade version, which I th think is still better than most. There are three real big inputs that we're looking at, and it uses that ICE you know, acronym, impact, confidence, and effort. Can you walk me through each of those and kind of what you should be thinking about and why? Yeah, so, um, you know, there's some things you do up above this to like figure out like, okay, where's our gaps and, you know, what do we need to close and like what experiments do we need to think about? And then once you've kind of got that gap identified of like, okay, if we just did the same thing we were doing today, this is where we would end the quarter, let's say. Um, that's not gonna, that doesn't meet our goals. And so you like, you have this gap. Um, and it's their gap really that you're like, okay, that's where I have to find experiments because if I just do what we've been doing, this is with the spend we have, this is what it will lead to because I have all my historical conversion rates and all that stuff, so I know that. Um, so then you have ideas. So you basically just throw ideas uh, into a spreadsheet. All right, what are our just ideas? Just like, you might even have a whole session just on ideas. That's all you're doing, just throwing ideas. Um, you know, get yourself in that, have a glass of scotch, you know, smoke a J, like whatever you need to do to get in that creative spot and just like get ideas out there. And then you score those ideas and that's where that ice framework comes in. And so, because um, you're trying to prioritize them. And what you want to try, what you want to prioritize is the thing that's going to have the biggest impact with the least amount of effort, right? And so we have this thing, ICE, and it's, the I is impact. So what's the, you know, what's the impact going to be if this works? 
Um, the C is confidence. How confident am I that this will work? You know what I mean? Like that this will actually have legs and, and deliver some of the goals. And then the E is effort. You know, so like how much effort is it going to take for us to get this to bear? And if you can put each of those uh, on a like one to ten. And you can just like multiply them together, you know, in a way, and you can just basically get a score that you can use like a, it'll be in the hundreds, you know, or thousands even sometimes. You just use that to roughly order the things. <clears throat> and then you go back in and you do a, like a gut check, you know what I mean? Just to like make sure that like, okay, even, you know, maybe these two things flip or, you know, you just use that to get like a rough order. Um, and then you start tackling it. So that's, that's the basics of it in the, the ICE definition. So one of the things that you mentioned was just getting experimentation ideas and throwing a bunch of shit at the wall and seeing, you know, what are the things that you even may want to experiment with. So uh, aside from your <laughs> Scotch and Jay session, what's the best way to do that? <laughs> you know, are you taking ideas from people outside the marketing team? Are you just getting all the marketing heads together? Like, how would you recommend people go about that? Yeah, I think it's a good idea to have a suggestion box, basically, for the company, you know, marketing Slack channel, you know, something somewhere where people can go and just, oh, I got an idea and I have a really easy, fast way to get that to you. Um, we do that. We, people don't use it as much as I would like them to, probably. And we've also, though, put calls out specifically. So like in t certain times, we've just literally put calls out like, all right, everybody, we need ideas. And for our CSMs, even like they're seeing what our customers are doing. So sometimes they can, you know, kind of bring that in. Um, and uh, so brainstorming, I think, you know, so just like getting a, several people together. That's how I like to do it, because like I like to build on ideas or I hear somebody say something and then, like, oh, that triggers something and I can throw this other thing out there. And, <clears throat> and so there's lots of ways of doing it. But I think um, it's fun. You know, this is fun. Like, this should be fun. This shouldn't be like a, oh man. And you have to actually be in a pretty good, you want to be in a good mood, you know, when you're doing it because you're trying to come up with new things and some of them are going to be really dumb ideas and you want to feel still like, well, it's okay, like, it's safe, like a safe know? space. It's like a, yeah. And I think it's a true brainstorming. Like the yeah. only way you create that brainstorming environment is, and we just talked about it, is when you set the expectation that you're not going to be punished when some of these things fail. Because then at yeah. that point, you're only trying to suggest really good ideas that you're really confident about and you're not really thinking, you know, out of the box. I hate that term. But when you've yeah. set that expectation from the get go, yeah, you get crazier ideas. Some of them are great. Some of them are horrible, but you're not going to get punished for them. And I think you can't do that without making it known that failure is okay here. Yeah. And bad ideas. You know what I mean? Because like you want people to be able to like just start talking and just like finish their sentence, you know, or their idea, even if they realize midstream, like, oh God, this is really bad. <laughs> Sometimes that happens. Um, but yeah, and that's important of like, so you want the right people in the brainstorm too. You know, you don't want the Debbie Downers in there. You know, you don't want somebody that's like, somebody gives an idea and like, well, well, we tried that before. No, well, I did this at the last place. You know, you don't want the Debbie Downers in there. Um, and so, yeah. And it's like I said, it's just, it should just be fun. You know, it should be like a fun session. Um, I think soliciting though, like the, getting that Slack channel out there cause people, so how do I say this? Like you're only, you only know what's in your head. You know what I mean? And so like, and then like you have what's in your head and like collectively we have what's in our heads. Um, but it's just, there's just so many different things you can do. And so 
oftentimes it takes a non-marketer, you know what I mean, to like prompt us with an idea that's like, hey, what, you know, what about this? Because they could potentially be the ultimate consumer of it, you know? And so, um, so I like the ideas coming from non-marketers too, because sometimes they're bad, uh, and sometimes they're like standard stuff that you're like, yep, that's what everybody does. But every once in a while you get that idea that's like, oh, we could build on that, or yep, let's do something like that. What Jason is saying is, yes, we have had many good ideas, actual good ideas from our sales team, I think is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably done. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know that we have. All right. So next part, you've got all of your experiments you know, identified for, you know, let's say, the sprint or the month or the quarter. You've prioritized them. I think the next big step that people who are just starting out often forget or just don't even know that they need to do is one, setting up an, an actual hypothesis and then two, coming up with a goal. So yeah, let's walk through how we do both of those because if you don't do both of those, then you're just experimenting for the sake of experimenting and you get right back to that activity-based cycle that you mentioned at the beginning of this. Yeah. Yeah, the hypothesis is is just like, what do you think is going to happen when you do this? You know what I mean? Um, and it could be, and it you don't want to just describe it as, you know, oh, we think this number of things will happen. Um, that's the basics. But like the hypothesis really is like, if we do this, we think, you know, this is what happens in the, you know, in the hearts and minds of the, you know, the prospect. <clears throat> this is the long term effect, potentially, this is the short term, you know, impact. This is what we think is going to happen, you know, and so and part of that is setting the goal. So the hypothesis is like, um, you know, why we think this is going to work, um, what it's going to affect. And then when you set the goal, it's like, well, what do we expect this? Well, let me let me start over. You want to understand what success looks like for that experiment. Um, and you want to set that up before you start it because if you don't and you're in the middle of it, human psychology just means you'll talk yourself into it. You know what I mean? Whatever the numbers show, you'll just be like, that's exactly what I was going to set the goal at. Interesting. <laughs> it's funny how this matches. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, that's, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> and so you want to really think about it. So like, okay, if we were to put, let's say two weeks of time and $10,000 into this experiment, what would need to happen for us to be like, yes, this is a success. And it's not, so we talked about how you're, you're looking at your quarter and you're defining like where we think we can get and you've got the gap. Each experiment shouldn't be like, fill the whole gap. You know what I mean? So like the goal isn't fill the whole gap with this experiment. And so it's, you're gonna have several experiments and it's kind of like pipeline, right? You wait pipeline. And some of the pipeline works and some of it, you know, some of it closes, some of it doesn't. But at the end of the day, you waited it and you get to the number you need to. And so you want to kind of think about it that way with experimentation, too. It's like I got these numbers of experiments. Some of these are going to fail. Some of these are going to work. I don't know which are which, but if we do all of these, then I should average out and I should get to my, you know, closing that gap. Um, but that also means like you need to give yourself the chance. So like if you run one experiment in a month to close a gap, you've just put all your eggs in that basket. You're like, man, this experiment better work. You know what I mean? Or I have nothing else. You know, I missed my goals. And so, um, I mean, so anyway, back to then, the then you're the, like, you the grandma at the slot at the penny slot, hoping to get the million <laughs> yeah. like it's not smart. So <laughs> exactly. That's exactly who you are. Yes. You're the chain smoking grandma. Don't be the chain smoking grandma with an oxygen tank. <laughs> um, yep, exactly. And so, you know, the goals should be like, 
the goals are honestly there just as much to tell you when to pull out as they are to tell you if it's working. Because like what you don't want to do is, okay, well, let's just put like a little bit more money. Or you say like, oh, I'm going to do a $10,000 experiment on this. But if you have some leading indicators, you're like, Jesus, this is not even going to work at all. Don't spend the whole $10,000. You know what I mean? Like pause it, maybe see, okay, is there something in there that we didn't do right? You know, why, are, why is our hypothesis not, you know, coming true? See if you can tweak it. But don't just like, you know, oh, well, we... We said, you know, so that's why you want to set the goals. And like, it's almost like you set failure goals too. What does success look like? But also what does failure look like? And like, what does it have to look, what does the metric have to be for us to say, nope, nope, this isn't working, let's pause it or let's stop. All right, so you mentioned metrics a couple of different times there, which is perfect because the next thing that I wanted to cover is measurement. And we're marketers, I'm guilty of this, you're guilty of this. We love to overcomplicate things and we love to try and measure everything. And I think when it comes to experimentation, if you're trying to measure everything, you're not setting yourself up well and you're going to spend so much time <laughs> tracking it and less time experimenting that it's not going to get off the ground. So how are you kind of analyzing experiments once you've launched them and how often are you doing that? And there's a couple follow-up questions that I have after. Yeah. So this is where we get into the attribution stuff, right? And like, um, if we only did marketing that could be attributed, then we'd be doing shit marketing. And so when you're thinking about experimentation, the easy one is like something focused on an event, like not an event, like a, like a community, like an event event, but like some activity happening. So you're like, you're capturing a lead, you're capturing a demo request. You know, there's something where you can say like, oh, you can measure that thing that happened and you can basically optimize to it. So that's the easy one. Um, and usually that's around like demand stuff, you know, like leads, MQLs, demo requests, website visits, you know what I mean? Just like these things that are simple to measure. Those are the easy experiments to set up. The hard ones are the brand experiments. So like, <laughs> My life, yes. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, you could even argue, some people could even argue like, are brand experiments actual experiments? Are they just, you know, is every brand thing an experiment or, you know, because um, there's usually not an easy way or a direct way to measure like the impact of a brand activity. Um, sometimes, you know, you can get proxies and you can like, oh, you know, they, they read it or they saw it or they clicked it, but <clears throat> that's not ultimately what you're going for. You know, you're going for mind share and you're going for brand awareness and you're going for so, without like studies, you know, like brand lift studies and qual, you know, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the qual, <laughs> qualitative, thank you. <laughs> the qualitative stuff, um, I'm getting stuck in quant qual, um, the qualitative stuff, you know, and that's what you're really looking for um, on the brand side of things. And so, and also the brand stuff usually isn't like measurable in a, small time frame, you know what I mean? So you're like, oh, I did this brand stuff and it yielded some success for me three, six months down the road. Um, so so that's just the challenge, right? But it doesn't mean like you should, shouldn't do brand experiments or you shouldn't try and measure them. You know, like you just wanna try and get, well, what's the closest thing I can get to a proxy? Is this doing better than another brand thing that I did in that metric? You know what I mean? So you're, you are looking at some things, but it's harder to understand the, like the, the true bottom line impact to like revenue or demand. Yeah, one, I think, I'll put that in the backlog of topics because I know that many other people are struggling with the same thing right now. Uh, just how are you measuring 
brand marketing. Mm. So that is a good idea. And yeah. I think on the, the qualitative side of things, I mean, the two easiest ways that we do this are gong trackers and then just looking mm -hmm. at the replies to emails that I send out, the comments that people are leaving. Are they from the right titles? Are they from the right companies? Are they happening more frequently than they were, let's say a month ago or three months ago? And a lot of it's gut feel which is, I would say, challenging when your CEO is a quant and an engineer turned marketer. But I think the more that you take screenshots of those and, and share it with you know, your VP of marketing or your CEO or whoever's interested in it, you can still get some of that you know, feedback. It's just not quantifiable, so it's tough. Yeah, and you know, with us marketing to marketers, um, we really try and do different things because like that's really what's going to attract a marketer because they want to see things that they haven't done before that they don't know about. Um, and so for us, we get comments on those things like you mentioned, you know what I mean? We'll get, we even have an ad out there that has like, I don't even know. It's with Jason's face. On, on He's being humble. Itself. Yeah, <laughs> it's his video. It's like, uh, in, uh, like an outrageous amount though at this point. Yeah. Yeah, and I did that ad in 30 minutes, I think, like 30 or 45 minutes, like concept to like- Well, actually, you know, this is unplanned. Let's talk through that because it's a perfect example <laughs> of us seeing that there was a gap in pipeline, trying to throw out a bunch of ideas. And I mean, this has been performing well and it's gotten great feedback. So let's talk through it really quick. I think that's a good example. Yeah, um, yeah, it was exactly that. We, you know, we were soft on demo requests in a given month or quarter. And, you know, full transparency, we rely pretty heavily on a single channel and tactic for a lot of it. And so if anything happens to that channel or tactic, we're like, oh, let's let's figure let's scramble, you know, and kind of like figure out what's going on. Um, and yeah, from what I remember, I was just like, I've done I had just done like three other video ads on like some of our product features and they just didn't you know, it was like they didn't perform as well as we were hoping that they would. And so I was like, man, what is it? You know, like what? What might people want to hear? And I just, I, I can't remember where I got the idea, but we, we had, uh, we had seen it from a, that's what I thought. Uh, We'd seen it somewhere. I kind of a pseudo competitor. I'm not going to give them any publicity here, but we saw it and naturally made it 10 times better, but yes, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay. So, and then I was like, put my mind in the, put myself in the mind of a marketer, which is not hard to do. And then. Like, what would I want to hear if I if I just like, you know, and also I knew like at this point we had been marketing enough and we knew like we'd been in front of most of our target accounts. And so I was like, all right, I'm just going to like come at them like they know us, you know, and I'm just going to come at, you know, I'm just going to say like, hey, I'm, I'm like you too. I don't want to be pitch slapped. I don't want to hard sell. So guess what? We don't do it that way. Um, and it was something like we don't think of demos as like sales opportunities, which was kind of ridiculous to say that because of course we do. But like, what I really meant was like, we don't see the demos as like a, a, a chance for our rep to just like beat you down. You know, like that's not what we see as. But it's more like, we just want to answer your questions. You know, we should be here to consult you through your decision. And it was really pointed at the marketer was, was like, let me respect you and your right to know what's best for you and your department, you know. So let us be here, you know, come check us out, you know, just let us be here to answer your questions, et cetera. So anyway, not to get too deep into it, but that was like the frame of it. And it was just like, let's try this out, you know? And we just, like I said, from concept, I wrote it out, I recorded it. I think, no, I was here, I think. I was thinking maybe I was in Miami. Literally, I just did it as like a, an aside almost. And then 
send it off. You know, we got it edited a little bit, put it out there, and it was just like, oh. And we started to see, like, because some of the, so some of the demo experiments we've done in the past start off, like, they race. You know, they're like, oh, all of a sudden, 10 demos came in from that. And then they, like, quickly trail off, which I'm like, huh, that's interesting. So that's what I was kind of waiting for on this one. I was like, okay, let's, this is going to be another one of those, like, it gets us, like, 10 more this month or something, but then it's going to wane. But then it didn't, you know, and then you start to see, like, oh, it's working. It's working. Okay, we started with a retargeting audience because we thought, like, and that worked really well. Okay, hey, let's go outside the retargeting audience. Great. Still worked, you know. And so now it's an evergreen campaign. And uh, and then, like we were talking about, it got some, like, good comments because, again, marketing to marketers. But I have to imagine this would be the same for, like, a lot of other people. We like to see things that are new and interesting, that, like, that catches our attention, you know. And, like, the stuff that's always been done shouldn't catch our attention unless you've just, like, done it to the nth degree. You know what I mean? Um, and so... It was just like one of those where I think people, uh, and it was like an ad where I start typing, like I'm just like talking to you, you know, like, oh, hey, you over there. And I've done one like that a long time ago too, which actually worked pretty well. Um, very underproduced, you know, it was like this so is the So I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think one of the things that stuck out to me was how low production it was. And, you know, we spend a little bit of time polishing it up, but it is not, you know, we yeah. don't have a video resource. We have an agency that can, you know, help polish it up for us, but this is not some highly produced video. And I think there's something to be yep. said about that because people almost trust the less produced things a little bit more than something that looks pixel perfect. And it's like, all right, what's actually going on? Cause that looks too good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm the same way too. You know, when I see something, I'm just like, oh, that's really overproduced going to the masses. Um, but you know, I think the trend more, and we see this with like, unfortunately, TikTok and like some of these other advertising platforms is it needs to be an ad that doesn't feel like an ad, you know? And to do that, it, it has to feel like a, a post almost, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's got to feel like some, like an organic video. Um, and that's what we tried to do. And we, you know, we want to do more of those, but, um, but yeah, it just, I think it's like, it can show up almost like a post, you know what I mean? So like you start to see it, there's not like a big metadata splashy logo that starts it out. You know, it's just me like typing, you know, like I'm over here and I like turn to the camera <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, and it's easier to do, right? Like than overproduced. Um, and then you're yourself, you're authentic. I think I even mess up a little bit in that ad, honestly. Like, I think I like, um, I pause, you know, cause I'm like, I forgot what to say for a second, you know? And I was like, oh, I'm not gonna do it over. Um, and there it is, you know? That's awesome. And I think the last thing I would add is for some of the people, and I'm sure there's a way to quantify this. This is really, really fuzzy math though, but we've had people post about that exact ad on LinkedIn. It's probably happened a handful of times. And they've all mentioned that yeah. it feels more like native advertising without actually feeling like an ad. And that was our intent, but for it to land as well as it did and get people to posting about it, I, that's, we never thought that would happen. That's pretty amazing. No, Ugh, especially on that one. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing you never know, you never know what's going to land. Like I would have, like I told you, I, I thought that one was going to be like, boom, you know, up, down, um, didn't have any other expectations for it. Uh, and that's actually happened throughout my entire time here. Like, I remember some of the first ads that Matt and I started running, like in 2019. And I was like, oh, that's gonna work, that's gonna work. What is this? You know, I was like, this is garbage. The garbage one is the one yep. that like worked. And I just saw that constantly over and over. I'd be proven, I don't know what, I I know, I obviously know generally what they want because like we're, we're winning and we're doing well, but the specifics, like, no, everybody's different. And, um, and we've learned a lot of that. So 
last question before we get into some of the Q&A or kind of last part before the Q&A. So you've launched the experiments, whatever timeline that you were using, that timeline is now, you know, ended. Because I think one of the things that's most important, you know, especially if you fail, I would say even more important are the learning. So how do you recommend people, you know, do a recap at the end of the experiment and share what they learned and, you know, what went well and, and what didn't well. So you're not doing the same experiment during the next sprint. Yeah. And that's the most important thing is what you just said there is if you don't track these things, you're going to be doing quite a few of them. And then if you're like, let's say you do four in a month, <clears throat> And then you're a year out, you've got 50 experiments now that you've run. And if you're not using the information that you got from every single one of those to, def to basically either, either filter your new ideas, you know what I mean? Have a filter to put them through or even like a filter to be, to even come up with those ideas. Um, then you're just, uh, you're doing the same thing over and over. You're still, you're kind of still doing the same thing over and over. And you're like, well, and then you lose you lose grasp of what you actually tested before and didn't. Now, this is where you can go way over complicated. You can get, and we actually had a version of this in one of our, I think, frameworks, which was like, all right, so that we know what works and doesn't. What colors did we use in the creative? What words did we use? You know what I mean? We, we tried to go like, it, really like it, it sounded great like, in theory, but uh, it, no, once you tried to apply it, it failed miserably. Yeah. We didn't use yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. And it was like, I don't even know how we allowed ourselves to build that framework. You know what I mean? Like not realize it in the middle of building it, but like, wait. Um, but you need to figure, you know, like what is the right amount of data to capture? You know, obviously the tactic you use, the channel, you know what I mean? Just, just the general parts of it. And you just don't want to repeat those. Or if you do, you want to at least, you want to know what didn't work so you don't do the same thing again. Um, and so, so that's on the like, failure and learning part, but on the reporting out, um, you know, the way we do it is like, a, you know, kind of a status on them. So, okay, here are the things that are live. Um, here was the original hypothesis and plan. Here's where we're at in that plan. So like the original hypothesis might be, we're going to spend $10,000. We think this is going to happen. We spent 7,000. This is where we're at. Um, and then when it's done, that's when you like do the kind of full, like tear down. Uh, don't again, don't go overkill, like trying to figure out every single thing. Did it work or not? You know, did it meet the goals that you set up or not? If it did, what does it mean? Do we just put it into an evergreen slot? Was it a one-time thing? Some of these are one-time things. You know what I mean? Some of these are one-time, you know, like you're, you don't put it on evergreen. Um, and uh, yeah, and you basically just like close it out. And so that's the, I think the important thing, we have status on the experiments. You know, the status could be idea, um, approved, or like idea, reviewing, approved, building, live, analyzing, closed, you know what I mean? Closed success, closed failure, you know? So like you have these statuses of the experiments and that's how you like step through them and kind of also just know like, where do I have a pipeline of things that we're working on, you know? And you kind of start to look at that. So that's also another kind of kind of report just to show the, uh, the status really of all the different experiments you're So doing, this will make a whole lot more sense when like you click out. on the link to the framework that we're using, but we promise it's more simple than you may think right now because the original version, which we will not share, uh, made our heads explode. <laughs> so, alrighty, let's get into, I think we've got time for one, maybe two questions. So first one, we're in a little bit of a different spot at metadata because Gil is all about experimentation. <clears throat> but for the marketers who don't work for a CEO like that, 
or even a, a VP of marketing like that, how do they convince whoever they need to convince that we need more time for experimentation? Yeah. <clears throat> oh, sorry. Um, this is where you like the influence skills and the like business case building skills, you know, as a, from a marketer comes to play. Um, you need to first understand why they are opposed to it or if they really are. And it could be one of those situations where you're like, yeah, they say they like it, but you know, they, you know, they either don't know what it means. They don't, they don't assume failure is going to happen. You know, you know, there's something off there. Um, so it's basically like presenting, I think it's presenting two scenarios and what the potential outcome of those scenarios could be. So one scenario is like, okay, we do it like we do today. We do one version of this. We do the same things we're doing. You know what I mean? We try and basically tweak what we're doing, not try really anything new. Or we try one new thing a month. You know, that could be another like bad, you know, like scenario, like, right, we do, we do one new thing a month, which some people consider experimentation. What does that mean? Well, if we're thinking about experimentation correctly, um, then it means that I am not gonna meet my goals, you know what I mean, with what we're doing today, um, and we need to do something different. And so that's the message you gotta get in front of the leadership is, hey, this is our budget, this is where we're going. If we do the same thing, like this is, but guess what, our goals are going up, but my budget's not going up at the same rate, right? So you have to find efficiencies. You know, every marketing department should hopefully be set up that way. If you're set up and your your budget just scales linearly with the growth of the company, then it's like, are you a profit center? Are you, you know what I mean? Are you doing, like, is it worth doing marketing, honestly, at that point? So you're always trying to find efficiencies. So, and the budget you have at the beginning of the year probably isn't gonna be enough, you know, at the end of that year to meet those goals. So you just show that, like, here's where we'll go if we do the same thing over and over again. We might get a little better if we do one experiment a month. You know what I mean? One, this month might hit, that, mu that month might not. We're all over the place. If we do five experiments a month, you know, or four or whatever, three, there's more than one, um, each one we hedge our bets a little bit. And we, we guarantee, you know, we, we more guarantee our chances of winning and our chances of hitting that goal. And not only hitting the goal, but being more consistent, you know, across the months and the quarters. So it's, it's really setting up that, <clears throat> that business case, that scenarios, I think of like, and making sure the scenario doesn't seem ridiculous. You know, like if we don't do it, the company will die. Everyone will be fired. You know what I mean? Like being realistic about it, but it should show a market difference, you know? Um, and like, and the side on experiment, you're going to say, I know I might need a little bit more resource here, you know, but this is the ultimate. Right. You mentioned you know, resource. This so this will be the last question. I'm going to tease out the answer before I answer the, or ask the question. So maybe I didn't do this well. Why do marketers find it hard to experiment? What are like the common excuses that they use that you've seen either at metadata or prior to metadata? Yeah, it's the time. I don't have enough time, you know? Um, and that will happen if you don't plan for experimentation in your broader plan. So if the leader, if it's not in the leader's plan, and you're like trying to take their activity-based plan and, and do experimentation on top of it, that's going to be a struggle because then the leader's going to be like, well, why do you need more resources? You know what I mean? I thought I just wanted to do this one campaign or this is the only, we just have to do this campaign this month or, you know, this campaign next month. Um, and so you've got to get it into the plan um, and getting it into the plan either means more resources 
or you shift other things. You know what I mean? You deprioritize some other things. Yeah, and I think just my own experiments, I was one of those people who was making up excuses originally that, hey, I've got a million other things going on. I can't find the time to do this. But also when you, I think we tried to set aside 20% of our week when we were going through our real big experimentation phase. It's also easier to think in that mindset when you know yeah. going into the week that, hey, 20% of my time has to be spent on experimentation. And if you want to go to blocking off your calendar, like that worked even better for me. So you can make time for it. I think there are plenty of excuses that we all come up with yep. as to why we can't make time for it. But uh, when you're experimenting regularly, it compounds over time and then the experiments get even better over time too. Yeah. And you're really saying this is a part of our culture, you know, um, and that's the, I think really the only way to get the right amount of thinking, time, resources, the plan to map what, you know, showing that it's a priority. Um, and so if it's not for the leadership team, then like the first priority. <laughs> awesome. Is to make it Alrighty. Well, we are right at time. Jason, this was great. We'll have to do it again next week. I think we are, uh, for people who aren't already subscribing to demand gen, you make sure to subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, follow our YouTube page and then keep sending good topic ideas over to us on LinkedIn. We appreciate it. Thanks for coming out. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Demand Gen U. If you want to hear more, make sure to subscribe to get future episodes. You can also submit a specific topic you want us to talk about by DMing us on LinkedIn. If you like the show or want to share feedback, please leave us a review. It'll help us keep improving and get the word out to other marketers just like you. This podcast is brought to you by Metadata, the first demand generation platform that launches paid campaigns that self-optimize to revenue. If you're looking for a tool that makes it easier for you to build audiences, launch paid campaigns, and experiment at scale, you'll love Metadata. B2B marketers at Zoom, Okta, and ThoughtSpot use Metadata to automate the time-consuming parts of running paid campaigns so they can focus on the things that matter.